everybody. Thanks for joining us. This is the Like David Project podcast. We're glad to be back. We've had the last few weeks off because of Thanksgiving and uh, sickness and whatnot. We weren't able to record like we would have liked to. But, uh, like I said, we're back and uh, it's going to be every week. Uh, We're going to do kind of a series off of a documentary that myself, Matt, and James watched just recently called Lord Save Us From Your Followers. Uh, I know Lord Save Us From Your Followers may sound a little bit negative or intense, but it's actually a really good documentary that brings up a lot of good discussion points and ideas. I really would recommend that you listen to it, but you don't have to listen to it to hear this podcast. So don't turn it off because you think that because you have to watch the documentary, you won't won't follow along. Um, It's not a review of the documentary. It's more of a discussion of the things brought up. So anybody can listen to that and enjoy that. Um, There's going to be a lot of topics that kind of push the envelope. So if you have anything to discuss, like always, go to the Facebook page and ask any questions and we'll make sure to bring them up. Um, If you can watch the documentary, that'd be awesome. It's on Netflix, so if you had Netflix, you can watch it right there. Or I believe, I'm like 90% sure it's available on YouTube. I haven't checked for myself. I've just heard that it is on YouTube and um, in different series because you can only watch so many minutes there. So um, check it out. If you have Netflix, watch on Netflix. If you, if you want to do it on YouTube, watch it on YouTube or go out and buy it. It's well worth it. Uh, and plus, we're going to probably be talking about it for the next, I would guess, at least three Net three podcasts, so um, go ahead and check it out. Uh, it's really good to be back. It's uh, awesome that the weather's cold and uh, uh, we're able to have holidays with our families and whatnot. But it's also good to be able to get together with uh, our church families and talk about uh, things that are important to us. So I uh, hope you enjoy listening. And if you have any questions, uh, hit up the the website or Facebook. Uh, have a good one. We're going to talk about the documentary, <clears throat> Lord Save Us From Your Followers, by a guy named Dan Merchant out of the Portland area. Um, my background with this documentary, I saw it probably about three, four months ago, and it really, it, it spoke to, I mean, it just confirmed a lot of things that I was thinking and made me think about things I wasn't thinking. Uh, now, there's a lot of different different points in the documentary and right off the bat the name the title lord save us from your followers can be kind of a aggressive name and kind of i actually thought and i really did when i first saw it it's on netflix when i first saw it i thought it was a secular documentary just from the title anti-christian right and i try to watch i mean some people may not agree with this but i try to watch both ends of the spectrum just because i feel like it it builds up my theology or my um, understanding of what everybody's thinking. I don't want to shy myself away from the opposition of my my uh, theology. So I try to watch everything, and I truly, because of the name, I thought it was a it was an anti-Christian documentary trying to discredit the church or discredit Jesus' followers. Um, but I was obviously wrong and it was a documentary just kind of, uh, in short, looking at the church, looking at the American church in particular and how others view the American church and just, I don't know, it sounds harsh, but it said, it, it kind of looks at what 
we may have been doing wrong, but it definitely does so in a loving way. I don't think it's uh, extremely condemning. Uh, some no, people absolutely. May, some people may take offense to it uh, at certain points, and that's okay, though. I think that's a good thing to be offended sometimes. Um, but after watching it, I really wanted... I, I thought about this podcast because it was something that I wanted uh, Matt and James to listen to and view also and discuss some of the things because I thought it had the points that it did have were were really good and I thought it was really good talking points and this isn't gonna if you haven't seen the movie or the documentary uh, prior we just discussed this isn't, isn't gonna be a review the review is that it's good and go watch it this is gonna be a discussion about the points that are made in the documentary. So if you haven't seen it, it's okay. You can still listen and understand. We want we want people that haven't seen the documentary still to get the points or still to be able to understand what we're talking about. Uh, but still, if you if you do have the time or have Netflix, and I think it's even on, for free on YouTube, uh, take an hour and a half and watch it uh, just because it, it is that good. Um, so just, I mean, kind of just to start things off, what would be your each year's first thoughts on on the documentary or on the on the what do you think the the main point of the documentary is what do, what was the objective of it well you seem to be uh, attempting to understand why christianity <laughs> is a very divisive force in the united states and um First, you have to agree that it is a divisive force, but I think that I've seen that in my own life, and it's true for a number of reasons. There's a lot of um, very vocal arguments for and against Christianity. There's there's people on one side that are that choose to wage like a culture <laughs> war, saying that Christianity and Christian values are under attack, and therefore we have to take action against them. And then the opposition then becomes defensive and starts to to respond aggressively. And I don't know who started the war, you know, which side do you, you blame, but you have to honestly look at it and say that there is a war, and it's primarily a war of words in the United States. And so uh, that, I think that's what is heart of why he looked at this, uh, this division that's occurring and, and what trying to figure out, well, what is, you know, the right Christian the viewpoint to take in all of this. And he came up with some surprising answers, and I think that's why you're saying that some people might be a little bit offended by <laughs> by the documentary um, the first time they watch it, because I think some of his answers are, are going to take people by surprise, but I think that he's hitting on something that we certainly hold uh, dear, that we think is important, and that's that that God's love and God's mercy is more important than how we judge other people's sins or, or what fights we choose to, to get into. Um, ultimately, what we're called to is to love people and have compassion and let that compassion be, be given freely, not earned by people. <clears throat> I would say that uh, the thing that kind of struck me, if I was going to say the theme of the documentary for me was kind of a question to all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And the question was, what happened to the gospel of love? You know, it's like, have we, have we wandered away from the gospel of love? And when I say gospel love, I mean that Jesus Christ came 
to save us from our sins and that simply uh, believing in him and following him and and obeying his commandments can save us from our sins because it changes us from the inside out. <clears throat> and yet in our society, Christianity, quote unquote, has become something maybe different than that. And I kind of saw, I was feeling, for me, what God personally was kind of saying to me as I watched the documentary is, there's a lot of voices out there that are giving examples and talking about uh, how far we've gotten away from the gospel of love. And it would kind of impacted me with, where do I stand in that? And I think that anybody who watches it, I think that was the purpose and the intent of the guy who put this together. He wanted us to question what happened to the gospel of love. And it, so what it did for me was it kind of helped me realize <clears throat> What's really important to God and what's really important to me really is the gospel of love. And so it allows me to make some adjustments in my life, really evaluating what is important and what's not. That there are so many issues that we could line up and we could become vocal about and we could become divided on issues. But is that really necessary and is it really important? Maybe we could just return to the gospel of love and actually not just like Matt was saying, the it's become a war of words. What if those words weren't words of warfare? They weren't, <laughs> what if they weren't words of warfare, but yeah. they were words of loving and serving and caring and no matter who the person is, rather than calling them out for their lifestyle or whatever. So to me, the theme was uh, what happened to the gospel of love? Yeah, they could have called it that. What whatever happened to the gospel of love in you know twenty first century Christianity? And what are you? What's your response, or what are you doing about it? Which yeah. you, you said, which which yeah. is definitely the point he makes in the movie. He he points to Christians and says, yeah. uh, "Stop talking so much and do the things that you know yeah. you have to do, yeah. loving people and, and helping those in need." And that's what's most important. That old Frodo uh, quote from Francis Assisi that says, "Preach all the time, and if necessary." Use words, and yeah. that's what he's trying to convey to Christians. Awesome. What do what you have to do? Do what's right, and don't worry about you know the, winning the argument. And then on the flip side, he's pointing to those that are critics of Christianity, yeah. saying, "Put down your weapons for a minute and look at these good things that Christians do, yeah. and then and then see what you feel about it." Instead of engaging in that war of words, look yeah. at look at the good things. We'll yeah. see that see what they're their heart is, is all about. So it's good. It's eye-opening for both sides, yeah. I think. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense of how the documentary opened. If you remember, he, he's he got a suit on with a bunch of bumper stickers of <laughs> really cool. complex ideas broken down into a, a bumper sticker. Yeah. It's um, both for and against Christianity. And when you say War of the Words, it's really a great example of the War of the Words because he was... And there, there's all these bumper stickers in Christianity and anti-Christianity with like the fish and that's yeah, what's his example. Escalating fish wars. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. The fish wars <laughs> going back and forth and the Christian fish eating the Darwin fish and then like a mutated Darwin fish <laughs> coming after a Christian fish. But that really is a perfect example of what it has become what or what has developed in <clears throat> words 
I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just as on the news channels these days, whoever shouts loudest and longest wins is yeah. basically what we have learned recently. Yeah. 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 And I'm tired of that. Yeah. I was watching something the other day, and I can't, I can't remember what it was, but the the uh, somebody was kind of ranting on and on, and the person's response to it was, "Wow, that was as loud as it was long." <laughs> it's like so. It's it's a concept out there. Shout louder and longer, and you will win. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was as loud as it, that was as long as it was loud. <clears throat> there was an interview at the beginning of the documentary with Dr. Tony Campolo, and he said a, a quote. Uh, the church is a whore and she's my mother. And that quotes by St. Augustine. Uh, that's a, that's been something that's ringing. I know in my ear and you guys well. Um, well, first off, what, how, what's your perception of that quote? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what exactly do you mean by that? But it has a lot of truth to it. Let's I mean, clarify. St. Sounds... Augustine said this, not, <laughs> yeah. not us. Yeah. John did not just say, for those of you who were kind of barely listening, <laughs> John just didn't say, church is a horror, but she is my mother. I was, he was quoting somebody. Yeah. Third. Yeah. Yeah, third half. Third hand quote. But that quote's powerful. Yeah, it is. It, it is. has a lot of truth to it. And um, it sounds harsh, but it it's... Uh, well, what's your thoughts on it? <coughs> it is harsh. <laughs> I'll jump right in. Yeah. You know, it's like... Uh, what I love about it, the quote, is... We have no control over who our parents are. Yeah. We have no control. I, I have... You know, I'm adopted, so I don't even know who my real mother is. You know? So, you know, maybe she was, you know, I don't know. But I had no choice. I had no control over it. I was birthed into it. And I also see that the idea is, it's the same way with Christianity. We're born again of the Spirit of God. And hopefully, part of our maturation process is to become enfolded into a body of believers someplace and begin learning the hard part of what it is to be a Christian and live in community. Well, we don't really have any control of it. Maybe in America we we have more control of it because we shop for our church experience based on a consumerism idea, which is a whole other idea subject. Yeah. But what I see is we're born into this. We're, when we're born again, we're born again into the kingdom of God. And I look at a lot of the... I hear a lot of the voices and I see a lot of things that are being portrayed in the name of the church or Jesus's church that I don't agree with. And for me, it's like, well, I have to operate within that. I can't just say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with the church because I don't agree with everything that the church stands for. So to me, that was what I took out of that. And it's like, I don't have any control of who my mother is. She is my mother. And so when I'm born again in the spirit of God, I'm born into the family of God. It's the same way. I don't have any control over it. So I learned to operate within that. I think it's one of the most brilliantly insightful quotes I have read in mem- in recent memory. Or heard, and I, I heard it first, and then I went back and read some <laughs> more about it. Yeah, the church is a whore, and she, she is. Yeah. yeah, she is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be the bride of Christ, preparing herself for the wedding feast, purifying herself, 
And yet the church has committed gross sins in its history and done horrible things to people and ostracized people and started crusades and yeah. waged warfare and and done whatever craziness it wants to all in the name of Jesus. And I know that it breaks Jesus' heart. The church has been unfaithful over the years yeah. and has committed crimes in his name. And yet at the same time, the church is our mother. And even though the church is flawed, it has been the vehicle that conveys the truth of the gospel, that demonstrates Jesus yeah. to the world around it and has preserved that, that image to the best of its ability over the years. And you cannot abandon the church. And, and that's, that's the mother part of it, as James said. If, you're, you know, if you have seen that the church has done great wrong, you have to recognize that all human systems are flawed and any organization um, run by people will make mistakes and, and be unfaithful to its true cause. Yet at the same time, if it wasn't for the church, if it wasn't for the preservation of truth and of gospel and of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then yeah. then we wouldn't be in this room today and we wouldn't have been set free from yeah. from our sins and, and in a relationship with Jesus. So yeah. for all of its warts and sins, the church still has a, a valuable and important role to play in the world today. Yeah. 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 Well, just by virtue of the descriptive name he uses, Augustine uses to describe her, it has to do with using what God gave you for financial gain or for some kind of gain. Right. And for your own profit. To, yeah. So today we kind of call that mass consumerism and <clears throat> For those of you who are listening, we were kind of joking around a little bit before we started. Uh, like we have this uh, study guide that you can, you know, if you've watched this and, you know, you can go to the Internet and Google it and you can come up with the same study guide. And we were kind of looking at it to see if there was any ideas there. <clears throat> but we kind of joked around, you know, somebody, I won't mention any names, Matt, uh, said, <laughs> said, said, yeah, never pass up an opportunity. Uh, up on an opportunity to make a few bucks, you know, just like the church has become so much like that. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, it's like, no wonder it's, and I think that's one of the concepts that comes out in the documentary is we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot. We've, we've kind of crippled ourselves because of the things we've done. And we've, we've nullified our ability to have any influence because of the crazy stuff we've gone off to do, mm -hmm. which is the sad part. Yeah. Rather than being an influence and being influencers like Daniel and Joseph and being a city set on a hill brandishing much light and being the leaven that leavens the loaf. But here's the other side of that quote that's important to, to realize in response to that, that... The stories of the Bible are of people that are flawed, that have committed great sins, that have been unfaithful, and yet God has done great things yeah. through their life yeah. because He forgives and He redeems and He restores. And in that sense, it doesn't matter what the church history is, God can yeah. always use the church just as He would use any person that comes in yeah. repentance and yeah. and redeems them. And, and in fact, you could... I, I was inspired enough to go back and look at all the stories of where a prostitute was used by God to do something great. And you realize that that idea of a forgiven 
sinner and an unfaithful woman is actually throughout the old and the new testament and it speaks of the relationship that god has with his people and there's examples there's rahab and jericho there's uh hosea was it hosea the prophet that that took a prostitute as his wife as instructed by god to make that an example to the people of of how that the people of God were acting towards yeah. God. They were being unfaithful. Yeah. And there's um, the the adulterous woman that Jesus said, whoever cast, uh, who, whoever is without sin cast the yeah. first stone. And it might have been Mary Magdalene who was being accused. And, and yet she was redeemed and she was forgiven. There's yeah. the, the ladies mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ yeah. in Matthew chapter 1 who are, were unfaithful women that were redeemed yeah. and forgiven. And, the list goes on and on. Yeah. There is a, a symbology to that idea yeah. of the unfaithful bride being yeah. redeemed and forgiven and, yeah. and still um, exa- lifted up by the Lord yeah. despite all of its faults and yeah. failings. And that, that's the story of the church yeah. as well. And, and, unless you, and in case you're mad at Augustine for using that term, you can read the Old Testament prophets were constantly using that kind of typology to call out the nation of Israel because of her unfaithfulness. Yeah. And you can go to the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and there's language in there that is, again, calling out uh, the church as a harlot because of her unfaithfulness. So, you know, if you just take away certain elements of Whoredom and just call it unfaithfulness. Whoredom. Whoredom. <laughs> you just said a <laughs> that was like a country. <laughs> the Republic of Whoredom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but if you take take that, you know, the sexual sin part of it away from it and just call it unfaithfulness, it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, it cuts to the core. At least in my own life, I think of my own life, and I'm just. I I need to I repent God for being unfaithful and I I don't want to live that way I want to turn my life to you I want to be I want to be found faithful I want to in the end of my life God say enter in good and faithful servant you know yeah yeah I, to me it, it it's that whole message speaks to that God can use you no matter what no matter how bad you think you are or no how much you feel like God isn't in your life, that God can use you. Like the most, whether you're a, a prostitute or a drug addict or a degenerate of some sort, in, in people's eyes, God still loves you. God is able. God can heal you. God can use you. Um, and, and will. And you can never earn that blessing from God. He gives it to you freely. Yeah. Right. And you don't have to go through some kind of basic training or some kind of class to have God use you. God can use you where you are. And I hear that from so many people that I talk to that feel like, and it, it, I mean, for us in the church, it may seem, uh, like a common thing, but, or uncommon thing to hear. But like, I've heard so many people think like, Oh God, what God can't use me. I barely believe in him. Like, or there's no way, you know, or, And it's, it's, it's hard to hear because I believe so, so strongly that it doesn't matter where you're at in your sin or anything like that. God still loves you and God's still there. He's been there all along. Um, and I think that message 
it kind of goes against the whole let's build all these rules and all these 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 uh, expectations of of ourselves for people that kind of constrict them and make them think it's, it's not that roles are bad or or you know training is bad these are all good things that we should want to do but it doesn't implicate whether how much God will use you or not or if God loves you or not that's not that's not the reason of, of a program you know absolutely yeah, um, yeah, yeah while we're on that topic John I think that maybe we've done a little bit of a disservice sometimes that our model for discipling is built around a uh, classroom environment, the paradigm of uh, teacher teaching information to students rather than like Jesus' model of discipleship was follow me as I walk and do the things that I do. It's more of a hands-on instruction rather than assimilation of information, you know. And I, and I see I see how it all evolved. You know, if you just look at the idea of education, uh, uh, Seth Godin just recently wrote some stuff about the idea that we <clears throat> we have schools that are set up with grades and students sitting in rows and classrooms and stuff. And that was all developed during the industrial age because we were training factory workers because the, the industry and the, uh, the economy was all built on working in factories. So from a very early age, we started putting our children in these, these types of environments yeah, to, to create the production line so that they would grow up to be adults and work in, well, with the advent of, I'm sorry, the internet has kind of like just broken that paradigm's back really, really, really bad. And I think that the church has been a little slow to catch that, even though it was there all along. It was there all along. Jesus said, come follow me. You know, he said, uh, do the things that I say and, and follow, you know, follow me as I follow the father in heaven. The things that the father says and the things the father does, those are the things I say and do. And so the real paradigm for how to, to make disciples was there all along. It was a, more of a modeling and just coming and being with me and, and doing the things that I do rather than an instructional, okay, we're going to have six classes, and in those six classes, this is the curriculum, this is the scope and sequence of things that we will we'll do, so that when you get to the end of that, you will be able to go out and disciple people. And it's like as people get to the end of those and, and then they look around and they realize, I don't have relationship anywhere. I'm not working with it, people that are unsaved. I have no place to use this language, use this information that I've learned. Therefore, I suck or I have failed or they become discouraged or, you know, all kinds of things. And it comes back to what we said was a point of this movie. And that it's not about words any longer. I mean, we've said enough. Our word, enough words have been spoken. What has to happen is is action. Yeah. And that's that is a very very important point. Yeah. Because of the changes, societal, cultural, financial, yeah. uh, business, everything that, and you identified the internet as well. All of those changes that are taking place right now require people to take action. Yeah. Not to speak more and bandy more words. Yeah. And I think that's a, a theme that also comes out in the documentary is people are tired of hearing our words. 
Yeah. Because it's so confusing and so crazy and there's so much rhetoric and there's so many lies and you just, you know, people don't even believe what they hear on the news anymore because it's only words. They want to see action. They want to see lives that are living. And I, I'm thankful because I think that's what Jesus wants anyway. He wants us living yeah. our lives following him, not just talking about it. Yeah. Doing I, it. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And that, that is one of the problems when you try and regulate that sort of activity, I think, is that as soon as you impose, John brought up rules, and, and that's where we started this, but when you impose rules on something, regulations, when you put a sort of legislative angle onto things, this is what you should do, this is what you should say, what it does, and this is why rules are dangerous, and you have to treat them carefully, it immediately imposes a limitation. See, anytime you define something, it imposes a limitation on what you can and cannot then do. Yeah. And God breaks down those limitations all the time. Yeah. Because we we can never understand him well enough that we can write it down on a piece of paper and explain it to him. He's too great. He's too vast. His love is so much bigger that as soon as you impose a rule upon it, you're effectively limiting. You're saying he will go this far, but no further. And that is not the God that, that we serve. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, legalism in all of its forms yeah. creates problems of limiting what we think God is capable of doing. Yeah. It's amazing, too, that if we take on that leadership style, thinking that's God's leadership yeah. style, as a parent or a church leader or whatever... You're going to find out there's going to be people around you who will run right up to that limit and stick their foot over it. You know, it's like if, as, as a parent, you may have some children that you say, do not cross this line and go into the street. And you'll have some children that will just very happily obey their mom and dad and not go there. But you'll have a child or two that will run right out to the street and Absolutely. put their foot right over it. And it's the same way with uh, any kind of leadership situation. And the, the rules that sometimes we build, I think, build a perception within the church with people or just, I mean, people in general, that if they don't abide by these rules, that, and I'm not talking about, you know, uh, be here on time or you know, simple rules. I'm talking about ethical rules and things like that, that sometimes these rules, whether they're good or bad, build a perception that if you do not meet these standards that you are no longer applicable to whatever it is. You're no longer welcome. You're no longer loved. And most importantly, it may give the perception that you're no longer loved by God. Uh, And that may seem ridiculous to somebody who's a Christian, but not ridiculous to somebody who's not. Uh, If I don't meet their rules, then I'm out and I can't live up to that. So why would I even want to get involved? You know? throw a little bit of addiction on it and they're never going to come anywhere. You know, (laughs) like, um, I was talking to James earlier. I really feel, and this is my circles and the, the undertone that I'm feeling with people I've met. I just went home recently and was around a lot of young people and, uh, just here and there. I, it's not so much that people in general that I've run into don't believe in God. 
they don't feel like they can meet up to their standards, to his standards. Um, and it usually comes along the lines of a conversation because I went to Haiti recently and a lot of people that know me know that I went to Haiti in one way or shape or form. Uh, that's usually the conversation started that I get, how was Haiti? And this could be someone I haven't talked to in years because they're on Facebook, they know that I went to Haiti. And I always share my story and, you know, how it went and whatnot. But I usually always invite the person uh, and, and ask them to come along. And by far, the number one thing I hear is not that it's hot and it's miserable or I can't, you know, do that. It's I can't do that because how can I help people when I can't live a life that I can't help myself or I'm not up to the standard of helping people, uh, which one amazes me that they think that I am. And two, it's, I mean, we may think anybody can help and that's, and that's, and it always segues into God and how can I, it's not that whether they believe in God or not, it's just that some people believe that they don't, a lot of people believe that they don't measure up. And I think that's kind of in a, in a roundabout way where the documentary was talking about, it's not whether you measure up or not. It's God, God loves you where you're at. Um, and there are things in sin in our life that God leads us to heal and restoration. Um, but there's always a starting point and there's always forgiveness. And, um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I was taking from the conversation. I think that it, uh, plays right into the idea of what happened to the gospel of love in this way, that, in a regular family, we would call it dysfunctional. But in the church, we never really bring it up. But it's the same kind of behavior, like I'm not good enough, or I can't live up to the expectation of my mom or my dad or my brothers or whatever. You could almost extend the quote, you know, the, the, the church is a whore, but she is my mother. You could almost extend it by saying, and, and we live in a really dysfunctional family, and we are a really dysfunctional family, with the idea of dysfunctional meaning it's not functioning correctly. It's not firing on all cylinders. It's not as good as it could be. And that's why it's not, it's, you know, we, when we get to the place where we don't care what other people think, we care about what God thinks. We don't feel like we have to live under the rules imposed by others blaming and shaming approaches to us but we know what the word of god says and we have a healthy idea of who we are in christ we have a healthy idea of what god has called us to do we have a healthy idea on i'm going to serve the lord with gladness and i'm going to do the things that he's showing me to do we don't struggle under the well what could i ever do for god why should, why would i go to haiti i can't even how can i help anybody else i can't even help myself and if if we came back to the gospel of love, that Jesus loves us so much that he loved us before we first loved him. And God sent his son to die for all of our sins and shortcomings and disappointing actions and behaviors. And that it has nothing to do with how good we are. God's merit, unmerited favor towards us it's just because he loves us because of who we are and that's our message that becomes our life message that becomes our story to tell that's what we talk to people about if we simplified it and came back to that that might help some people who are saying 
well, I could never become a Christian because I, I can't help other people. I couldn't go to Haiti. I couldn't do any of the things that you're doing in your life. And just let them know, you know, we are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yeah. And we are often our own worst enemies, whether you're mm-hmm. a Christian or not. You, you, will, you will pick up on, on something and, and you will convince yourself that you're, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. And while there can be times when people impose that on us, we are our own worst enemies in that regard. And, and it requires something as paradigm-shifting, earth-shaking as the radical love of God to snap us out of that and to see, some, see differently about it, to see, us as, see ourselves as sons and daughters of God, um, righteous because Jesus Christ is righteous, not because of how well we act or because of what we've done. To see ourselves as forgiven. It, we have to have our worlds turned upside down sometimes by God to, to grasp that. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you sometimes need to be shaken out of that. Yeah. I, um, I'm not saying that there's not sin. I, don't, I almost don't even like the word sin because uh, it's just things that... I don't make, like the word sin. You know, it's just, it has a stereotype. <laughs> Things that, you know, lead you down the wrong path. Uh, whether, I'm not saying, obviously we know lying is wrong, heroin leads to addiction, <laughs> don't cheat on your wife, don't sleep with your sister. <laughs> you know, there's things in, in life that, there's these ethical <laughs> rules that we have, and we, we know right from wrong, or should, hopefully. Um, but, I, and, tell, and tell me if I'm wrong, I almost feel that it's not the church's role to regulate, but to relate, to, to have a relationship, not to regulate uh, what is right and wrong, especially especially on somebody, an outsider's life, you know. Yes, I, I agree with that, and I like the way you put it, to relate, not to regulate. There is, there are some things that, yeah. that people, that become... <laughs> important to people and they begin to impose it as a rule on others and it can be done with the best of intentions i guess that's what i wanted to say yeah you know we can do it with with the right heart the right intentions in mind but as soon as the rule takes the place of of a relationship or prevents you from having a relationship or is considered more important than the relationship, then there's something wrong with the the rule or the mindset regarding that rule. And so it's a very delicate balance that people have to to fight. Um, God will tell you things that you need to do or not do, you know, to, to... behaviors that have to change and it's up to you to be responsible to that and if we lived long enough we would all end up you know yeah (laughs) coming around to the same set of thinking but because everybody's at a different place and god has to deal with different issues at different times in people's lives it becomes hard to impose a regulation upon somebody else based upon what god has said to you because they're not in the same place they're not coming from the same background we're not dealing with the same issues. Yeah. And what's easy for one person um, is very difficult for somebody else. Yeah. So balance and it, relationship is important. Balance is important. Hearing the Holy Spirit is important. Yeah. 
Sorry, James. What were no, you I, I just I was thinking it's kind of a rookie mistake, you know, that Christians make sometimes, and sometimes not so new Christians, you know. The rookie mistake being whatever it is that God's speaking to me about, he obviously must be speaking to everybody around me about the very same thing. And forgetting, like you're saying, Matt, that everybody's a different place at a different time. And just assuming, you know, because there are, you know, like the whole, we talked about this a lot, but uh, the whole political thing, Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians and, you know, it's like, I believe that there are some people that are called to operate in that venue and to be at that place. And God bless them, you know, (laughs) but just because you're in that place doesn't mean that what God's showing you as a Joseph or a Daniel in that position means that's what everybody else must do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If we were all passionate, we can't all be passionate about the same thing because then yeah. Yeah. nothing would ever get done. I and mean, there's so many different areas God needs people operating in. Yeah. yeah. You pursue what God is telling you to do. Yeah. Sorry, John, I interrupted you. No. That time. No. My phone was vibrating in my pocket. It kind of threw me off. <laughs> no, you didn't interrupt at all. Um... Not to turn this into a personal session, but I <laughs> I have an example of something that I just, the last two days have been, I have a friend who got pregnant, and I, I just think this is a good example of, or I, more of a question of what is the, the godly approach. I have a friend who got pregnant, one night stand, uh, completely broken up over, and never thought it could happen to her. Uh, she's a good girl, not somebody you actually think it would happen, you know, get pregnant in a one-night stand, one-time deal, yada, yada, yada. Um, very torn up over whether to get an abortion or whether to keep the baby. Uh, I personally, taught, my, my advice was to favor in the way that keeping the baby just because I, it, I, I personally believe that's the right thing to do in that situation. Um, but what my question, she, she's, she lives in the Bible Belt. She's not even in the area. Um, and she has a lot of friends that are, are really strong Christians. And her best friend said that if she gets an abortion, she, and she's leaning towards getting an abortion, her best friend says that she'll no longer be her friend because it's an abomination of God and that she can no longer be her friend. They've been friends for years. And... I really felt like that wasn't an godly approach. Um, that's that's placing regulations upon somebody else who, because she's not a believer. She, I mean, she believes in God, but not a church goer, you know. And I really felt like Jesus would, what would Jesus do? Jesus would love on her and show her support while still holding ground of your your own ethics. Is that... Yeah, because I think you can say I don't agree with abortion without imposing some kind of restriction on, like, I'm not going to be your friend. Any- I, and forgive me for being flippant in about a situation that I don't, I don't know no, personally. I'm not, you know, I'm not involved in. But, you know, that whole notion of I can't be a friend anymore because you do something that I think is wrong is something that you have to examine your heart. Very closely, if you're if you are at the point that you can make a statement like that, you have to examine your heart very closely. 
and recognize that we are all sinners, and yet God loves us anyways. And that's God's ultimate standard. And he expects us to have the same view of others. And yes, we cannot agree with everybody's actions. And yes, we can take exception to, to things, especially if it's something that means a lot to us. And abortion is something that means a lot to people. Mm-hmm. And you have a right to voice your opinion. Yeah. But you do not have a right to, to refuse love to somebody that is in need of your love and compassion. And I, I hope that if somebody says that tells her that she ha- should keep the baby, that that same person would be willing to then stand alongside him throughout a pregnancy that's going to be difficult and, mm-hmm. and make her feel sick and, <laughs> and complicated. And then as she's a single mom raising a child, I hope those same people are going to stand alongside and support and, and care for that baby because that's, that's the reason why people would consider an abortion is because it's a life-changing, life-altering moment in your life to have a, a child. And it, it's demanding and, it, and it's costly. And, it, and so I, 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 I don't agree with abortion, but I can see how someone, a young single mom, would get into that position and say, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Especially if they're coming from the position like you were saying earlier that how can I take care of a kid of a little child I can't even take care of myself you know like to me it just seems like an approach to it rather than saying well if you do that I'm going to abandon you as a friend because it's murder you know and another approach would be hey you know what you're my friend and I love you and I care about you and this is a decision you had to make on your own. And I'm going to love you and support you and be here for you no matter what happens. I can tell you this. This is how I feel about it. I know that women who have abortions, it stays with them for the rest of their life. Because they constantly think about They go back to, what if I had that child what if I saw that little girl or that little boy or you know they agonize over the decision the long-range effect of it and it's going to affect you if you do it it's going to affect you and and but I'm gonna be here for you now and I'm gonna be here for you then and I want you to know that God will be here for you now and then and he's gonna be with you and if and if you're thinking about doing it because you think you would be a horrible parent We'll learn together, and and the Holy Spirit can help you learn how to be a good parent. And many of us have survived really bad parents, you know. But you're going to be good. I would try to find ways to encourage them, letting them know the decision is totally yours, and I'm going to be with you no matter what you do. But here are some things to think about, you know. Rather than putting them in a position of, if you do that, I'm going to abandon you as a friend. That really is like control and manipulation and why I bring this up, I think it's a good example of that personal relationship, what you just described, I think is perfect. But if you think back, and it, and there, it touched on this in the documentary, in uh, not so much abortion, but in homosexual circles, but shouldn't that be the, been the church's stance? Do you think we might have missed an opportunity to help some people, some single moms when they needed us most, instead of yelling at them? Absolutely. Yes. I have even preached on that very topic before. It's been a while. But I have a hard time with Christians that picket outside an abortion clinic. 
Be, for the very reason that the, the girls that are going in there need support. They're going there because they need somebody to help them yeah. to, to make decisions. They're, you know, they're, they're beside themselves with anxiety and worry. Yeah. And the last thing that they need is someone shoving a sign in their face yeah. and calling them a sinner. If those same murderer. people, a murderer, yeah. if those same people were standing outside the abortion clinic saying, hey, if you, if you keep this baby, I will do everything in my power to help you work out what you need to work out to provide to support. Can you imagine the lives that would be changed yeah. as a result of it? Yeah. Two lives would be changed as a result of it yeah. by showing compassion yeah. instead of... Yeah of spouting more angry words. Yeah. And, and that, is a, that is an important point. Someone might feel a conviction about going to an abortion clinic and picketing. And I understand the motive because God hates the taking of a life. I get it. But the people that are involved are people <laughs> and they need compassion and they need love. We miss that sometimes. Yeah. Perfect example of angry words. Abandoning the message of love, the gospel of love, and replacing it with angry rhetoric. Yeah. Yes, the same is true of the homosexual community. Yeah. Our angry rhetoric has done um, probably more long-term harm than good. Yeah. And what struck out to me, what the words that kind of resonated in me most was that, and I want to get back to this later on a different podcast, but the, the, in the documentary, there is a portion of it where the guy, the guy speaking in the documentary decided to set up a confessional booth for, uh, at a, at a, it was a gay, gay pride, pride, pride festival. Yeah. festival. Yeah. And instead of, it, it wasn't your ordinary confessional, instead of having people confess to him, he confessed to the people that walked in, which at a gay festival were uh, homosexual people. And as soon as they walked in, he said, hey, my name's Dan Merchant. That's the guy's name. I wanted to make some confessions to you. And one of the things he said was talking about how he wanted to apologize on behalf of the church for neglecting to show love and compassion during the AIDS crisis and that he said we really missed a key opportunity to show God's love when you may have needed it most um and the people and the person that he was talking to just you know blew up in tears I just thought that was so powerful um on many different levels uh it moved me to tears too because the the man that he was confessing to said I lost many friends to AIDS and can I mean, imagine the heartache of that and to think that instead of the church coming alongside and helping and supporting, they labeled it as God's judgment upon their actions yeah. and drove a wedge when there should have been a bridge of compassion being built over people in crisis, over people that need help and they need, they need hope. And, and if we can't offer hope as a church, if... If Christians yeah. cannot offer hope to people in the midst of a crisis, then what's the point in being here? Yeah. Yeah. And so did we miss an opportunity? I think hindsight shows us we've missed a lot of big opportunities. And you know the beauty part of this whole thing is we can change that now. Yeah. Because you know what? I won't go do that anymore. I won't, I won't do that. I will do this. 
Correct. You know, it's like making that making that decision. I won't do that. I'll do this. And we start changing society one person at a time, decision at a, at a time, because it changed me. And I made the decision to change and make a difference in a different way. And I hope that, you know, uh, I sit here on Tuesdays with two other guys that I know are like-minded in many of the things that are important to me. And that's the reason we do this podcast is to put these ideas out there that there might be other people who would feel the same way and say, yes, I'm going to change. I'm going to, I don't feel that way. I'm not going to go along with, uh, uh, with that. There's a, uh, I've been, I was meditating this morning. I'll bring this up because I just, I felt it so strongly. I was meditating uh, in the book of Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. And the, the first verses in these, I think, kind of goes along with this. And ver- uh, I can find it really fast here. Well, I'll start with the, with the quote in Ephesians 4, 1. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, which he was very close to. Uh, Ephesus was like his home church, and he, he was based out of there. And he met with the elders of the uh, of the church in Ephesus when he was going away, and they pled with him not to go, and there were tears shed. And he had a, a relationship, deep relationship, with the church in Ephesus. And he says, therefore I, this is Ephesians 4, verse 1, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. And he mentions these things. He says, always be humble and gentle. Okay, when you think about the church, (laughs) is that us? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And I'm thinking about this gospel of love, making allowances for each other's faults because of love. Make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And then he goes on to say, because there's only one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, who's over all, in all, in every every way. And what he's saying is, there's one thing that really holds us together, and that's the love of Christ, the love of God in Jesus Christ. And because of that, here's how we live our lives in a worthy manner, being humble, being gentle. Uh, being patient with people, uh, you know, learning to really show love. And it's like, I'm challenged to come to, to, to that. Uh, Jen's handed me a quote here. The church is the body of Christ. And for the last 50 years, the hands and the feet have been amputated. And all we've become is a big mouth. <laughs> Isn't that Rick Warren? Rick they Warren, yeah. yeah. Yeah, really good. Yeah, really good. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm personally in my life in a season of adjustment, adjusting. And I'm so happy for conversations like this because I am adjusting. And I, I believe there's a concept of living in the moment, that God wants us to live in the moment. But lately I've become aware of there's also the concept of living in a season, which are 
is a protracted moment, I guess. But it, I, I know there are moments where I have moments, God moments, and I have moments in relationships with people where just, wow, we just had a moment, you know? And in living in that moment, and trying to live in that moment. But I've also become aware over the last couple of years that there are seasons to our lives. And I've realized that my life right now, I'm in a season. And what is God saying to me? He's talking to me about adjusting. Because my life right now, as a 57-year-old, is not my life when I was a 40-year-old, or a 30-year-old, or a 20-year-old. And sometimes I, I forget the season that I'm in, and I'm having to make adjustments. And I also think that that's maybe what God is talking to the church about. He's, let's make some adjustments. This is a different season. The internet has leveled the playing field, so to speak. It's like, it used to be that everybody would go to church and whatever the pastor or the leader was saying, everybody would parrot that and leave the church doing that. And that's when I think the church started just moving off the mark. That's why all these issues became important. And that's why the rhetoric became heated and divisive. And maybe God is wanting to change things in a way because he wants what God sees as the salvation of the entire population of earth. That's why he gave his only begotten son, that the world might be saved through him. And that's populations everywhere. And if Jesus Christ is coming back for a bride who's made herself ready, could it be, could we actually believe in the Christianization of society? Could we actually believe what if little pockets everywhere people started turning their lives over to God, not because of rules and regulations, but because there was an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ because people loved and cared and served. It's going to take a lot of adjustments in the institutional church to get to that place. Enough adjustments that I wonder if it if at the moment, it can. I, I feel that the foundation upon which our churches in general have built themselves is changing beneath our feet, whether we want it to or not. And it's, it's exactly what you're saying. Times are different. Things have changed. God needs his church to think and act and respond differently because it's become stuck in its ways. Yeah. And it's hard for people to make that adjustment. And I, I, I fight that battle, and I fight it. I, I talk about it with others, too, because they're finding that they're having to approach things differently. I have a great friend of mine who uh, is a counselor by profession, and he said recently he's got into situations where he's had, to, he's had strongly, deeply held beliefs of his challenged by the people that he is in contact with and he's finding himself changing rather than him changing them and he's realizing that's what's happening to the church right now the things that we have held dear yeah they have become idols for lack of a better word yeah and people are having to make adjustments and adapt to new situations, yeah. new circumstances, and the old rule book has to be thrown out because yeah. it's not relevant anymore. Yeah. When you said that, I just got this prophetic picture of, you know how when you go to the, the ocean, and as as zonies, we love to go over to the, to the ocean, and when you're standing there, and the wave comes up, and then it starts going out, you feel the sand underneath your feet. 
moving away from it. We've experienced that feeling. And that's exactly what you're saying. It's this foundation is changing. And I immediately thought of the verse about if we're going to count the cost to build a house, are we going to build it on sand, on shifting sand? Or are we going to build it on the solid rock, which of course is the word of God? And, and somehow we've gotten away from what the word of God is talking about, or we've reinvented what we think it means. And maybe God is wanting to allow this, this thing that we, we thought this terra firma, we thought the, the ground was firm underneath our feet, but there's a wave coming that's going to wash over us that is going to create this movement of sand underneath us. And we're going to realize that we need to make some adjustments or we're going to fall over because it's starting to shift underneath our feet. Because things are not as certain. We've seen with the correction in the stock market and the correction in the housing market. And right now, there's the dominoes are honestly getting ready to fall with what's happening in the world economy scene with Greece and the euro. I mean, if the euro really does go down, it's going to affect us. And what if all of a sudden our economy, like we think we're the mighty America. Well, I think we've realized in the last... 10 years, mighty America's economic stanchions have been absolutely shaken. And would we continue to do what we're doing for the kingdom of God if no money was involved? What if all of a sudden all money dried up and all we had was our houses to live in and we could only walk because there was no gasoline? Would we reach out to the communities around us? Would we be sharing the love of Jesus with people around us? I think we would. I think some yeah. of us would. But we've got to make those adjustments. Yeah. And it's hard for people. I, I get that. I, I get that people are having a hard time. They want to cling on to the things that they've always known and always been certain of. And I just think when we have become so certain of things for so long, we may lose sight of, of our creative, immense God that that cannot be described in a few simple words and in the documentary the thing you mentioned the bumper stickers he said we have taken complex ideas and complex social problems and complex uh arguments and we've boiled them down to a few simple words and i'm sorry that just doesn't work anymore no matter how much we we say them and repeat them and say them louder and louder the truth is it just doesn't work anymore yeah Unless we want to re- reduce it down to God is love, then it might work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put that about a bumper sticker. Yeah. With all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength. Soul and all of my 
give all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, and all of my strength. Jesus, I love you. With all of my
I love you, Lord. 